Welcome to Cashing In on Content Marketing. Each week, marketing experts will explain how to measure your content marketing results and communicate that value to stakeholders. I'm your host, Fractal Marketing Director, Amanda Milligan. This week on the show, I am pleased to welcome Dennis Shao. He's a marketing consultant at Attention Retention. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Thank you, Amanda. I'm very excited to have you because we're going to talk virtual meetings, which we are recording this in the time of COVID-19. There are so many virtual meetings happening now, now more than ever. And I think people are even more curious than usual as to not only why they should do virtual meetings, but how they can really make the most out of them. So Dennis, to kick things off, let's just, let's start really simply here. Like what kind of virtual meetings can you have? Like what does that actually mean yeah. when you say virtual <clears throat> meeting? Sure. And let me cover a couple of terminology too, because there's a lot of, because there's different types of technology. And I think these days, many of us, and in fact, we're kind of in a virtual meeting right now as we're recording this. So virtual meetings. So first, let me just cover, I'm going to cover virtual meetings versus virtual events, because I believe they're two different things. Okay. I think these days, marketing teams and a lot of business teams are in virtual meetings. So there's technology like Zoom, WebEx, BlueJeans. There's a lot of these tools, go to meeting, where we're getting on because we're all sheltered. Most of us are all of us are sheltered at home. So when we are, instead of the old-fashioned conference call, we're now hopping on a web meeting from our laptop, tablet, or phone, and we're talking, we're planning out, just like we would in person. We might be going through a presentation, there's screen sharing, etc. So those are what I call web meetings, where it's kind of like your conventional meeting in the office. Sometimes you might have a speakerphone in the office for remote folks. And now, of course, we're all doing it online. Then there's these things called virtual events. And those are some of the same technology vendors that provide virtual meetings will also provide virtual events. But the virtual events are what I would say, like imagine a physical event, say Salesforce, Dreamforce, and it's now because all events for the most part are canceled, physical events. The organizer of the event still wants to connect people at the same attendees or even perhaps a wider audience because now everyone's at home and if you do it online, anyone can attend. They are creating these things called virtual events. You can even call it like a virtual conference, which I would think of, I think of as a subset of a virtual event. And these are cases where you're seeing, a, you're probably seeing a lot of it in your feed or you're getting email invitations for marketing related events or other industry events that you typically would have gone to in person. And now the planner, the organizer of the event is using technology and there's a wide range available to create the virtual event, virtual conference where everyone attends remotely online, including the speakers. So the speakers are now, you could have a keynote presentation. I know there's been some recent virtual events with some very prominent speakers that are have to be at home as well. And they're going to maybe be on their webcam and deliver. It's probably unique for them now. They're delivering that keynote address from their home office in front of a webcam. So hopefully I was able to distinguish between the virtual meetings, which is a more tactical business, traditional business meeting, and virtual events, which is more looking like a conference. It's like more of a reproducing the conference experience online. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it sounds like, you know, the events is at such a big scale that it's super important to understand your objectives and then be able to measure 
the results of that. Cause even though I assume one of the big benefits is that it's cheaper, but people don't have to travel to go there and you don't right. have the physical space. Right. So I'd imagine that's a bigger draw. Yeah. I think it's, I would say the, the hard costs are definitely lower. There's no travel. There's no venue to rent. There is no, what else? All the physical things you have at a conference with your booth, all of that is gone. Of course, food and beverage. And don't get me wrong. I don't believe anything can replace the face-to-face experience when you're all remote. There's great ways to connect online, but it's almost like you're interacting with someone on Twitter versus spending having coffee with them in person. My belief is that nothing can replace having coffee with someone in person. Mm-hmm. So there, there is benefit on the cost reduction. There are other things to consider, though, which is a lot of commerce happens at conferences because you have people connecting. You have a lot of deals that can get closed because you have your prospects or existing clients that you want to renew for next year. That's really easy to do in person. You got your, even got the purchase, physical purchase order and they sign it. And I think commerce generally is a little bit more challenging online. So I think that's something that physical events will always have the advantage for. But back to your original question, I think for the event planner, the fact that it's virtual shouldn't change a lot of the process in terms of identifying the goal, figuring out how to measure, measure the results towards your goals and see if your event was successful. There just might be different ways to measure online compared to when you're doing a physical event. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to that definitely in this episode, the best ways to measure that success. But for anybody who's listening, who hasn't put on a, a virtual event, how do you know when that's the right course of action? Like, what are ah. some indications that like, yeah, we should put on a virtual event? Well, I think these days, it's simple, simpler, in that the question comes down to, do you still want to connect with, let's say, or let's take the scenario you had a physical event and it was planned for May 15th, just to throw a date out there. And now you have to unfortunately cancel that. The question is, is the momentum behind that May event and the interest from all involved, including the speakers, the attendees, the exhibitors, is there still some momentum to connecting together? So exhibitors connecting with the attendees, the speakers still wanting to speak. Mm-hmm. Generally, if the answer is yes, which most likely if it's a month out, there's still a lot of momentum to wanting to connect, then I think a virtual event in some form, there can be diff- many different forms. If the answer is yes, like then you obviously will have the virtual event. I've seen a couple events. I can't think of the one per- in particular, but there's been some events I've heard of, business events, where they had a date for the physical event and they just decided we're going to cancel it outright so they didn't have the virtual option. But I think in general... The, if the event organizer sees an interest in continuing to meet, then the virtual event is pretty much the only option available right now. And it if, could range. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It can range from something as simple as we're going to get together in Slack or some tool, or we're just going to have a series of Zoom meetings where, with our webcams mm. on. That might be like a low end with tools that everyone's already using, platforms. Or it could go up to the high end where you're having these browser-based experiences or maybe even more sophisticated standalone software that mimics the feel of a physical event. So you're having almost 3D-like or actual 3D experiences with your attendees, connecting with other with exhibitors, et cetera, and presenters. So there's a, way, a range of technologies you can use if you decide to go virtual. So what if, you know, before the time we're in where a lot of physical 
events are becoming virtual events. What about the people who have been doing virtual events as their initial plan, right? Like right. why do you think, what are the best reasons to do that? Are you asking for folks who are doing virtual already? So prior to the pandemic, what is the best reason? People who haven't done anything. Like they've never, maybe they want to try a meeting for the first time. Oh, I see. There are people, sorry, I should have clarified that. There are people who, you know, want to do one. You know, what are the, what are the big pros to going virtual with it? Well, I think it's pretty basic right now in that if you want to connect with others, then you have to use some sort of online vehicle to do it. So if you've never done any sort of gathering or event before, I actually think it's a great time. I'm going to say that with one caution. The great time is because every all of us are at home. We generally, and I don't want to be, I know I happen to have a teenager who's very independent. I know there's others out there who have young kids at home, and it's a really stressful to juggle between caring for your three and four-year-old and trying to get work done. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But in general, we have a lot of time at home in front of a computer. And so the appetite for experiences that could be anything from content to like reading an article, listening to a podcast, to connecting with others is there, there is a pretty big appetite for it out there. Now, of course, my warning is that it's kind of a period where everyone's doing it. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like I'm going to do, I'm going to pay for the keyword. What am I trying to say? Like uh, (laughs) paying for a head keyword is like everyone's bidding for it. So it's going to cost you $200 per click. So you have to make sure you are providing enough value that people will come to want to come to your experience. So I think it's a great time to do it if you've never done it before and people are receptive to it. So as long as you're giving your audience what they want and perhaps even connecting them, being the connector among them, meaning you're bringing the audience together, they may not know each other, but your platform can enable them to do that. And I'll just give you a personal example. I've been running a marketing meetup for the past five years. It's called the Bay Area Content Marketing Meetup. We used to meet once a month in person. And now with the pandemic, we've moved to online. And we decided to do a every Wednesday 30-minute meetup where each Wednesday I'm finding a speaker. So, man, I'd love to have you be a guest in an upcoming Wednesday. So it's noon to 12.30 Pacific time, so 3 to 3.30 Eastern. And the magical thing that we, we had our first online meetup this week, and we're moving to the Wednesday model starting next week. The magical thing is our, originally our meetup, of course, was because it was in person, was confined to those who were nearby. Mm-hmm. And now I'm promoting this online and I'm saying, the only limitation is time zone. So if you happen to be 3 a.m. local time, you may not, you may prefer to sleep. Right. <laughs> but now anyone can attend. So it's been amazing where in our first online meetup we had, it was 6.30 Pacific time, which means it was in the morning in Asia. And we had someone say, hello. And I said, where are you joining us from? And he was in Mumbai, India. So it was just wow. amazing that we are bringing people together in this meetup now that we've gone online in ways we never could have done that with just like a local face-to-face meetup. Yeah, it's so cool to see it personally, have that happen yeah. to your own, in your own events. That's right. So we were talking a bit before the call about how a lot of people kind of see any kind of event as a one-and-done deal, but that you right. have a different perspective. What is your take Yeah. On so since the topic of this podcast is content marketing, I think there's a great analogy to consider. So 
I spent several years working in virtual events. This was all the way back in 2009 when most people that I told what I worked on, they were like, what, what is that? <laughs> and now, of course, everyone's talking about virtual events. But anyway, I would help these companies. A lot of them were technology companies plan like a big boom event, just like you would have a big boom conference. Like it's a one or two or even three day conference on a specific date. And in many cases with a physical conference is like you spend almost 10 months building up to the big moment. It's a great success. The last day of the event, your team is already planning for next year. So it's almost like it's a full cycle just to do this huge point in time event, mm-hmm. which I get that. But I think from a content marketing point of view, why not consider using a platform? So obviously you have to find some technology partner or you can even do this by building some, some of your own pages on your website. Think of a virtual event, not as an event, because I think event implies point in time. Think of a, ver- an, a 365 experience that in which certain events sprinkle throughout the year. So you might have that big conference virtually in October or whenever, but invite your audience to experience with you throughout the entire year. Of Joe Polizzi, founder of CMI, I believe at his 2019 keynote at Content Marketing World, talked about his anti-campaign. And the analogy he used is don't have a one-night stand with your audience, have them I think he said, like, marry your audience. So have them in a long-term relationship. And I think that's the perfect advice here. You can think of that big splash event in, let's say, October virtually, but think long-term for the entire year. And how are you going to engage this audience? Content marketing is a great, a great analogy because that, that's what you're trying to do there. You're trying to engage your audience year-round with your content, but now make it an experience where the content includes moments where you're gathering your audience in real time. And the Content Marketing World Conference was, I think, the first time I've ever encountered that philosophy because they have their Slack chat and their Mm. weekly Twitter chat. And I had never seen a a conference do that where they're trying to engage with people all year round. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great example. They have their weekly Twitter chat. So they're building community slash experiences year round. They have their Slack channel. They have that CM World book club where I think at the conference, in Cleveland, they actually had some people who were in the book club gathered to exchange physical books in person. So yes, CMI and CM World is a great example where they're, it's a year-round experience in Cleveland, and they have the content tech in San Diego, just happened to be moments during that year-round calendar. So what are some examples of the type of content that can accompany a bigger conference to provide that value year-round? Well, one easy answer, almost I'll use this sports analogy and called it a layup is to take some of the moments of the point in time events. Let's say you've, you've managed to land some very well-known keynote speaker and have your team generate follow-on content from that. So it could be not necessarily a straight up summary of the keynote, but maybe taking the keynote content as the basis of a long form post, bringing in some of your customers to maybe weigh in or see how the keynote connected with your customers or even see ways where your customers are doing things that the keynote speaker, like how they're reinforcing things that the keynote speaker mentioned. So there's a lot, and I've used this trick where hosting or even attending a really good conference is, it can set you up for a year of content related to what you heard at the conference. So that's, that's one way. 
Another way is to think about all the people that are participating in that virtual conference. That, that could be attendees, exhibitors, and speakers. And you could profile some of them before the virtual event date on your blog and or profile them afterwards. Let's see what else is there. So I think just using the event content as the foundation for related content is I highly recommend. Yeah, it's another uh, then, version uh, yeah. of repackaging content, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. So I think that when you have this mentality of this isn't just going to be something we do once and then we move on, it's something that we're going to do for a longer period of time, that that would impact the way that you measure your ROI, right? Right. So what's our some of the ways that maybe you personally have set up a way to determine the value you're getting out of these types of initiatives? I would still do two, take two approaches. One is you are going to spend a lot of your team's time and effort for these point in time events. So let's say I keep using that October virtual conference example. You might, you'll have some costs with the technology, maybe some advertising, et cetera. So I would still, and event planners really know how to do this. I would still measure that event just as almost like a campaign, as much as Mr. Polizzi might be hurt in hearing that. <laughs> but, and that could be a lot of the metrics that a typical event would have. You might have, you might have like the basic business goals of sponsorship sales. How much are you bringing in from your sponsors in revenue? And then for the actual metrics of the event itself, how many leads did you deliver to your sponsors? Were there, if there were lead guarantees, did you hit those lead guarantees? So there's things of that nature. And then just there's ways that the platform can measure overall engagement, number of unique people who logged in, number of return visits from individuals, average session time. This probably sounds familiar to content marketers because it's a lot of the similar things you have on Google Analytics on your page. What else? And then for each presentation, what was the average viewing time? So a lot of that, a lot of that is basics that you probably would measure at a physical event. And then for the year round, I think it's similar to measuring an overall content marketing operation. So you want to measure audience metrics, audience growth, set up attribution if you can, similar to your blog to say is, is what we're building have attribution to leads, opportunities, and revenue. So I think of it as if someone, if your listeners have that a methodology for measuring the business benefits of their content marketing program, it should be no different if you implement this idea of year-round virtual experience, because it's kind of just like a content marketing program. That makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about like the different tools that are available for these bigger virtual events? And is there any differentiation between them in terms of how you can set up metrics and such, or is it basically all the same? There's a wide range of differentiation in what they do and the experiences they provide. When I was very much more heavily involved in the space, there was probably a small number of vendors, three to four vendors. I'll just name a couple of vendors that I'm familiar with. There's On24, there's a company called Intrado, Disclosure, I used to work for them. There is a company called Six Connects. And I frankly have not kept up to date since then because there have been new uh, vendors that have emerged. There's one new, oh yeah, there's one that I hear a lot about on social called Hey Summit. I haven't checked them out, but I, it seems like they have been getting a lot of momentum. And so they have different, it's certainly not a market where like everyone's providing the same thing. 
there's going to be a lot of differentiation. So I would definitely get demos. If the back end analytics is important to you, definitely drill down and take a look at what they provide and get some references from them. And then there's a lot of variation in the experiences for attendees. Every So like you could just have a virtual event where you're doing three one-hour webinars in a row and you could call that a virtual event, but it's probably not too valuable for the attendee other than maybe the value of hearing one particular webinar because you're not getting that much interaction with other attendees. Right. So there's a lot of variety in what the, they provide. And I think in general, as the organizer, if attendees are coming in and they're getting so much value in not just the educational content, but in interacting with each other, because that's what I know a lot of people go to conferences for is more for the networking. Mm -hmm. Then if you can select a provider that provides that, then you'll have happier attendees. And in general, your event will be more successful when your attendees are happy. Right. No, that's interesting because like I said, I haven't done this myself. So, you know, I wanted to make sure we got a good survey of tools that are available and it's a great point to make sure to have those calls to, to see that those specific tools are offering what you're looking for. Yeah. I will give a plug out to Brian Fanzo. I've seen on Twitter that he is compiling a list of tools. So if you look up Brian, I think he's iSocialFans, F-A-N-Z. I think he's in the process of compiling like the, the master list of all tools and he's been getting vendor demos. Oh, that's so awesome. So I'm not sure. If, yeah, I'm not sure if it's out yet, but I know it's in the works and he's going to publish his findings of the marketplace. Yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye on that and add the link to the show notes. So if somebody is listening to this and they're like, this sounds great. I want to get on board with this. I haven't done a virtual meeting or not even not a virtual meeting, a virtual event, but I have to get buy-in from my boss. What do you recommend to people as highlighting as the way to get that buy-in from leadership? That's a great question. I would say since you're going to your boss for buy-in, you have to figure out what is the boss under what am I trying to say? <laughs> what is the boss expected to deliver right now? They're, because you're, you have your business goals. It might be the same as what your boss set at the beginning of the year, or he or she may have gotten new direction from their boss. Like, here's the revised numbers we need to hit. And so I don't, I would say it might be irresponsible just in isolation to go to your boss and say, we need to do a virtual event. You should flip it and say, okay, here's departmental goals And here's the best way I believe we can hit those goals. And if virtual events is part of the answer, then you make the case. So it should always be done in the context of, I've done my research. We know we need to reach our audience. And right now everyone's online. This is the only way we can do it. Maybe you want to compare it to sponsoring a white paper or doing a podcast, like do some research on the best way to reach that audience. And if virtual events is it, then build a you might need to do a little bit of research on the vendor space, costs of the technology, because that's going to factor in to your ROI. If you have right. to pay $30,000, you better have be able to attribute <laughs> more than $30,000 in pipeline, for instance. Otherwise, it's just sunk cost. But go like start to build the case and present it to your boss in a way that says, this is the way I think we can hit our goals. What are some, since you've worked with a lot of people who've said virtual events up, what are some of the most common goals that they have when they run the events? A lot of it is lead generation. So when I was working in the industry, it was, there was a lot of people were early adopters to webinars, of course, webinars. So I was in the space in 2009, 
And in the 11 years since, that's been a staple of most B2B marketers is to do webinars. Mm-hmm. But back then in 09, people were do- so less people were doing webinars in 09, and some who had been doing them for a while were looking at virtual events as the next evolution of lead online lead generation. Because if you could get, let's say you got one viewer to watch your on-demand replay for 15 out of the 30 minutes, but now you were doing a half-day virtual event and that same person came into the virtual environment, you could kind of track what they're doing. So you could say like they went to X, Y, and Z sponsor booth and downloaded these white papers. They attended these sessions. They, you can actually see that they chatted with others. So now you have so much more intelligence to better qualify. If it, so if it's all a lead generation campaign, you can, in the webinar, you know they viewed for 15 minutes. In the virtual event, you know a lot more about what they might be interested in. And then with the multi-sponsor model, of course, you can provide other companies with that information for the content they interacted with, with that company specifically. So lead generation what is a huge goal there's a whole nother space, which is internal communications, where you have the all-hands meetings and the internal summits, where a lot of companies were using or continue to use virtual event platforms to bring employees together. Mm. And in that case, it might be metrics, might be things like a satisfaction rating from employees for the experience, their overall job satisfaction, like a lot of survey-based things, or education. So you need to roll out some new policy or program. You can test them before and after to see, did the virtual experience improve their grasp on the topic or do they now understand the new policy? Right. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. So there is a question I ask every guest on the show, and it's related a little bit to what we were just talking about, which is like getting buy-in from leadership. So you were talking about some tips what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they go into those meetings? It sounds like maybe you mentioned it, which is just kind of like going in blind or you're not, right. you're just trying to get buy-in for something that you haven't measured the other options for, but is there anything else you can right. think of? So the mistake for going in to get buy-in for a virtual event? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the thing I mentioned earlier of just not connecting it to how it's going to meet this quarter or this year's goals And then I would say the other one, and this is something I experienced quite a lot back in 2009, is just an explanation of what this thing is. Because there's been a a resurgence or a a lot of momentum around virtual events. Everyone seems to be talking about it now because it's a great option with everyone at home. But I've always thought that the term is so mysterious because like the word virtual to me means that which is not real. (laughs) So I almost feel like the term we we came up with does a disservice to what they really are because it makes it mysterious. So I would go to your boss with some, I guess I'll call it Wikipedia-like explanation for what these things are, or even a picture or a, a something that captures what the experience is so your boss understands what you're proposing. Awesome. So one last question for you before I let you go. Sure. Which is that knowing the objective of the show which is to help content marketers get buy-in and measure their results for themselves. Do you have recommendations for who should be on future episodes? Oh, let's see. Recommendation. I'm not sure the total. I'll, I'll mention a few names and maybe you've had them on already. 
Andy Crestina from Orbit Media Studios. He is scheduled of... to be on the show. Oh, he's scheduled. Okay. <laughs> we probably run in similar circles. Yeah, uh, probably. Let's see. <laughs> I would recommend Brooke Sellis, who has her own agency called B Squared Media. Yep. Uh, who else is there? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. I have a good friend here in the Bay Area that helps me with the meetups. His name is Rich Schwerin. He's a content strategist at Autodesk and... He's got some, I'm sure he had, would have some thoughts to share on getting buy-in. He's, awesome. as a content strategist, he's, he works with stakeholders. So it's like he's in a centralized group and he often works with people in the lines of business and they will come up with a initiative and he'll help them. But collectively, the pair will have to work to get buy-in on the campaign. Okay. Yeah, that would so be a really can, valuable yeah. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing your insight. Thanks for having me. For more insights and exclusive resources on how to justify content marketing, join our email newsletter by going to frac.tl, clicking on our work, and then podcast. See you next week.